All right, what's up, fifth and long fans? I want to thank you personally, myself, the commissioner, Paul Gashak, and I speak on Patrick Tamar's half, my co-host. Uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning into the show. We saw those downloads uh, increase over the past month, so we really appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, please continue to recommend show to your friends. Keep tuning in yourself. Follow us on the social medias as well at fifth and long pod on Instagram. A couple of things I wanted to dive into real quick before we head on over to the meat of the show. And uh, this whole week should be very, very fun for you all. Um, it's our own version of Super Bowl Media Week and football is going to get a lot of love. But as I mentioned, a couple other things to touch on briefly here before we dive into that. Me personally, uh, I want to talk briefly about the uh, passing of Carl Weathers, um, who played the role of Apollo Creed. Um, some of you may also know him for his role as Chubbs and Happy Gilmore. Uh, I'm a huge Rocky fan, huge fan of the franchise. It's my favorite movie franchise in general. And his role as Apollo Creed in, in that movie series was iconic. And he'll definitely be missed. Passed away at the age of 76. Heard that um, that he had passed on my way home from work Friday afternoon. It's very sad there. I've uh, been watching the Rocky series already throughout the course of the weekend. I'm through Rocky one through three and was just about to start four. So I uh, definitely had to give a shout out there to Carl Weathers. Um, wish the best uh, to his family. Rest in peace. Now to the ice. Um, the NHL had their all-star week this, this past weekend and uh, pretty good festivities from what I was able to see. Team Matthews took home the championship. And for those of you who aren't aware of how hockey breaks up their all-star week, they break it up and uh, with four captains and four teams. And they'll do this uh, mini tournament where uh, each team will play each other. And then the winner of the, the semifinal games will play for the championship. Well, it was Connor McDavid's squad who won, as well as Austin Matthews in the semifinal rounds. And those squads faced off against each other in the championship game, so to speak, with Team Matthews winning seven to four. It's three on three hockey. For those of you who don't know, they play 10-minute halves. And uh, it was actually Connor McDavid's team that won in the final seconds in their semifinal round. McDavid had a goal with just over five seconds to go to advance him to the championship. But as I said, it was all Austin Matthews' squad from there. Matthews had two goals and an assist, and that was all she wrote in a 7-4 victory. We'll be talking hockey coming up after football winds down here after the Super Bowl uh, and as the NHL gets into the second half of their season. So it should be a lot of fun there. I'm looking forward to that. Now to the hard court. Uh, we had our midseason check-in both on college basketball and the NBA last week. Uh, but let me just briefly touch on some of the big games from this past weekend that we told you guys to tune into. And uh, I'll let you know how it affects my personal rankings as well. Uh, the first game to talk about was, of course, Houston, Kansas. I said it was my game to look out for. I had Houston as my number one team in the country coming into this week. And I'll probably have to bump them down a slot. Um you know what? Kansas is a very tough venue to play. Allen Fieldhouse is one of the toughest arenas in the country, but Houston really wasn't competitive at all in this one. Uh, they lost by 13. They were down by 20 at multiple points in the first and second half, so really not a competitive effort, and they got dominated on the glass. That was one of the things that I said Houston was very strong with uh, as they're rebounding, especially on the offensive end, and it really didn't come to fruition this week. Solid day from Kevin McCuller, who did return. I talked about him maybe potentially missing the game due to injury. He put up 17, and Hunter Dickinson, the big man down low for Kansas, added 20 points as well en route to a 78-65 win. So big win for the Jayhawks there. Purdue was my number two team coming in uh, for last week's episode, and they got a really impressive win against Wisconsin. Only one by five, but I think it was a pretty dominating victory from what I was able to see. Led pretty much wire to wire from about the seven, eight minute mark on in the first half. And just a casual double-double for Zach Eady in this one. 18 points, 13 rebounds, as he notches his 55th career double-double 
And that, of course, leads all Purdue basketball players, past and present. So I'm going to bump Purdue up past Houston because of this win. Wisconsin was a top 10 team, in fact, number six. And it was on the road as well. So Purdue very deserving of now the commission's number one overall ranking will slide Houston to two. UConn gets a win. We'll talk about them very briefly here. They knock off St. John's on Saturday. They would beaten Providence earlier in the week. Uh, two solid wins, two decent teams, but neither of them ranked. So we're not going to bump up UConn. We're just going to keep them right where they are at at the three slot. And kind of a similar story for Arizona as well. Uh, they uh, knock off Stanford here. So they're going to that game is in the final minutes as I'm recording now. They were up well, a little over a minute to go. So we'll keep Arizona right where they are as well as the number four team overall in the country. However, I also told you to tune into the UNC Duke game and the Tennessee Kentucky game as well. And neither game was like really crazy. We didn't see a ton of drama, but North Carolina with a very impressive win over Duke. I had said that they were just outside of my top four teams because they had lost to Georgia Tech earlier in the week. But really, they seemed to get their swagger back in this one. They were so much faster than Duke. They got out in transition very well. And they won the turnover battle, had a bunch of points off turnovers. That was the difference in this one uh, as they put up over 90 points and knock off Duke. Of course, those teams will face each other again later in the season in Cameron Indoor. So this one was on UNC's home court, but a very impressive win nonetheless. That was number three, North Carolina versus number seven, Duke. And then another top 10 matchup between number five, Tennessee and number 10, Kentucky. We talked about this could be a potential fork in the road for either team. Well, Tennessee led pretty much wire to wire here. They put up over 100 points in Rupp Arena and win by 11, 103 to 92. And I think Kentucky's got to be left scratching their head a little bit. Hasn't been the best basketball for them. They dropped two games on their home court this week. They could be sliding to the back half of the top 25 after these losses here. So certainly will be a challenge for Kentucky going forward, but they do have the talent. They've got the coaching, of course, and John Calipari to turn things around. And it's not like they're in dire straits or anything. But I think the notion of this being a, a top 10 team, maybe a one or two seed that we thought about maybe a couple of weeks ago, we got to put that on the back burner for now. Seems that a couple of teams have stepped up big time in the SEC and, and passed them. Teams like South Carolina, Tennessee, of course, who knocked them off here in Alabama with a very impressive win over Mississippi State as well. So it'll be work to do for Kentucky to improve their seeding from here and, and climb up the SEC rankings. That's the brief rundown of college basketball. Once again, those were the big games to look out for. We talked about Purdue, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Duke, Houston, Kansas, and Tennessee, Kentucky. I'm going to keep my four teams the same for now. I'm just going to shuffle the order of Houston and Purdue, and we'll be talking a lot more college basketball coming up on the fifth and long pod uh, next week after the Super Bowl. But for now, let's get back into the football talk. Of course, it is the crown jewel of sports going on right now with the Super Bowl coming up this week. Hope you all enjoy the episode. Catch you later. All right, fifth and long fans, welcome back to the show. Friends of the program, it is officially fifth and long Super Bowl media week. Officially. The Super Bowl uh, is a little over a week away, exactly. I mean, Paul and I are recording this on Sunday, but it's right around 2 p.m. now. Kickoff of that game is going to be at 6.30. Um, I don't have the uh, the Tom Brady countdown clock in my room, so I don't have the exact exact, like, days hours minutes seconds to to kick off but maybe that's something i should get in my room for uh for next season so that once once this super bowl is over with i can switch it on and start the countdown to uh to next year's super bowl week 
I think that would just be so psychologically deflating if you started that <laughs> countdown to just know how long you still have until next football season and the next Super Bowl. It feels so weird, dude. We're recording this on a Sunday. It's the first Sunday with no NFL football since Labor Day. It's I ridiculous. saw I saw some tweet actually uh, scrolling on my phone yesterday that it, I don't remember who it was from, but it was like uh, telling my wife that I'm I'm not watching any football this weekend because the games aren't that exciting and I value family more than anything. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I've seen stuff like that too. Like where people are like, oh, babe, I'm going to hang out with you and, and skip Tuesday night football for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't, don't use that one, fellas. Don't use that one. Um, Paul and I have some exciting stuff planned for you all this week. Our idea essentially is to do our own little version of Super Bowl Media Week where um, we can't make it to Vegas. If we did, we might not ever make it back, full disclosure. Um, but we, <laughs> we can't be there to actually participate in Super Bowl Media Week, but we still want to have some pieces of content to share with you all and, and do our own little way of leading up to the game, making it exciting uh, for the listeners and viewers here. So um, our itinerary this week is essentially going to start with this segment here. We're going to talk a little bit about Super Bowls from uh, Paul and I's lifetime, some of our favorite memories from those games, what the Super Bowl means to us. And I feel like this is as close to an official American holiday as it can get without actually being known as such. Um, my place of work, we, we don't work. Uh, we So the restaurant that I work at part-time, we we shut down for the Super Bowl. We actually don't even open up. We, we close our doors. People, we don't expect to, to really come see us anyways. We don't have any TVs in the restaurant. But um, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm really excited for this year's game. This is a great time of year. It's a little weird still not having my Patriots even a part of the playoffs. I'm so used to us playing in this time of year. It's like... It just feels like vacation time almost, but um, yeah. What's what's your what do you really associate the most with the Super Bowl, non-football wise? Like this could be anything. Totally open-ended question. It could be a person. It could be a food. It could be uh, a feeling, a emotion, and, and a memory, or and a memory, a memory. <laughs> memory. I thought you said it right the first time, but then uh, tripping over your words a little bit there. Uh, the two things that, that come to mind, I just think of kind of like chips and dip, to be honest with you, because I have yeah. like so, such a, a wide assortment of dip, French onion dip, buffalo chicken dip, anything like that, chips and salsa. So that's the first thing that popped into my head. And then if we're talking purely non-football stuff, obviously the commercials are are pretty good. But even though the past few years they've been waning, I would say. Uh, back in like 10, 15 years ago, back in my heyday, it sounded like an old man, but uh, they had some good ones, man. Doritos always had some fire commercials. The E-Trade baby commercials were always my personal favorite. They brought those back uh, last Super Bowl, so I was really pumped about that. But yeah, those are the two things that leap out to me, non-football related. How about yourself? So it's two things for me. Um, when the Patriots were playing in Super Bowls pretty frequently, something that my parents would do is... Um, so we moved to South Carolina when I was a kid. We we're originally from the Massachusetts area. We had a favorite pizza place up there, Town Spot Pizza in Stoughton, Mass. Paul, I know you live in Massachusetts now. You yeah, probably have where Stoughton is. Yeah, yeah, you've had some good pies up there, I, I believe. But travel to Stoughton if you ever get an off day. Visit Town Spot Pizza. Take home a large pie. You will not regret it. This is the best pizza I've ever had. We loved this pizza so much. We would ship 
frozen boxes of this pizza all the way to South Carolina, like basically every week during the playoff run. And come Super Bowl time, if the Pats made it, we would do a double order. We'd invite all of our friends over. So we would have like a dozen boxes of pizza for this Super Bowl party. And we'd, we'd heat up all the pies. We'd put our toppings on them, whatever. Uh, people would come over and and just have a good time watching the game. Um, so that's that's something I definitely think about. Town Spot Pizza, if anybody's listening. Uh, Fifth and Long would love a Town Spot Pizza sponsor. Um, <laughs> I'll check it out. I'll check it out, man. You should. It's really good. Um, and the other thing I think of is just pick up football games, actually, because any year that the Pats were not playing in the Super Bowl when I was a kid, um, some friend of mine would have a Super Bowl party instead, and, and typically I'd be over at a friend's place. We'd throw on the floodlights in the front yard, uh, mostly during the first half and halftime of the game, and just find a pigskin, let it rip. There'd be like six to eight guys, sometimes a little bit more, and, and we'd have a full-on tackle game going. Sometimes people would get hurt, sometimes they wouldn't, but that was like our little version of the scene in the Sandlot where they're playing baseball underneath the July 4th fireworks. That's kind of what that felt like to me as a kid, and it's not exactly the same, but in a sense, there's some similarities, right? Like a pseudo American holiday with the Super Bowl. Um, some people really associate football heavily with America these days. And like they almost go hand in hand how baseball and America used to go. Uh, I, I don't know if baseball currently is America's pastime. I think football might have the the keys oh, yeah. to that conversation right now. Over. Yeah, exactly. So I, to me, those are the first things I really think of just spending time with family and friends as a kid, good food competition, even if your team isn't competing in the game and, and finding ways to um, be around other people who have an appreciation for, for sports and those other things I mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Yours, your, uh, your memories were a lot more eloquent than mine. I just say commercials, chips and dips. So <laughs> I think, I think you win the, the, the poetic, if we're, if we're doing this in terms of like uh, sounding like a poet or sounding like nostalgic, which we are for Super Bowl nostalgia, I think you win the best memories portion of the segment, Patrick. But yeah, I love spending time with everybody watching uh, watching football. And uh, I think it should be a national holiday. Either I think they should do one of two things, either make the Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday or move it to Saturday. And it's like because then you're, you're drinking, you're partying, you're doing all this stuff. And then you got to go up and get get off for work the next morning. Not ideal. Not ideal mm -hmm. for sure. Um, so we've got a few different categories to talk about for this Super Bowl episode. Um, Paul is a Steelers fan. I'm a Patriots fan. We both have a lot of experience with this game in the last 20 something years, which is pretty much the time frame that we're looking at. Um, Paul and I both agreed it would be slightly difficult to talk about, uh, games we weren't alive for when they took place. Like, Maybe someday we'll do a deeper dive into Super Bowl history, talk about some more historic games. I would like to do that sometime, actually, but just for the sake of this episode and for uh, most of the people who we feel actually tune into the show, most of us are going to be around the same age and most of us will remember the same Super Bowls. So uh, that being said, Paul, do you have, outside of a Super Bowl that your team played in, do you have a favorite Super Bowl game that you watched or that you remember? I do, and you're not gonna like it. If <laughs> we're if we're excluding 
any Super Bowl that the Steelers have been a part of. The Super Bowl that I enjoyed watching the most, that I thought was the most exciting, was Super Bowl 42. You got the Giants knocking off the undefeated Patriots, which in and of itself was a massive storyline because nobody thought that the Pats could be beat that year. And the Giants were just like a four seed that kind of snuck into the playoffs. They were only nine and seven in the regular season. So it was the true David versus Goliath matchup. Then you have factor in things like the helmet catch, um, Eli Manning breaking out of like what was a basically a sack to to get loose and throw that ball to Tyree. Like I was thinking about it earlier, earlier today, recalling that play that if it were in today's day and age where they try to do a little bit of a better job at protecting the quarterback, you could have made an argument that that play would have been blown dead, like forward progress would have been stopped. Uh, because Manning was within the grasp. I forget the Patriots defender at the time, but just a phenomenal play. And the fact that it was just like a Joe Schmo, David Tyree, that that made that catch, I thought added to uh, added to it even more. So I'll go Super Bowl 42, 17-14 Giants. Uh, I know that that probably tugs at the heartstrings for you, but I had to throw it out there. Well, I'm wearing this red Tom Brady jersey, the authentic, like, old school um, uh anniversary jersey for for the pats and i was actually wearing this jersey during that game like there's a picture of me in front of uh the tv at my parents house prior to kickoff wearing the jersey and like pointing at the 12 and like i'm all excited and um i the thing i the things i remember about that game was just how slow it felt like that Patriots team was such an offensive juggernaut that a lot of our games felt like track meets. So uh, there was a few games that year that were over by halftime. Some of them even earlier, I think even in that playoff run, we had a game against the Broncos. I remember you beat the, I thought it was the Jags. You beat by like, like 40 or something in the divisional round. It might've been the Jags. Um, I know we had a year where we faced Tebow in this, in a, in the playoffs. This might've been the second year. That would have been Tebow would have been later. Yeah, I think that was the second year we faced the Giants in the Super Bowl, but we beat them by like 40 or 50 or something like that. Um, yeah, man, I, I I remember the 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 Tyree helmet catch for sure. It's hard to forget. Um, I remember the Giants pass rush that game. Um, this was the first ever NFC wildcard team to win the Super Bowl, this 2007 New York Giants team. And they spoiled the Patriots' perfect season. They spoiled a shot at history. Um, it was the last game of Michael Strahan's career and by performance in the regular season, if you look at it, this was actually the worst team in NFL history to make a Super Bowl at the time, at the time, just based off regular season performance. Like I said, five seed first ever NF- NFC wildcard team. Um, they played, I think all three of their games on the road uh, to make it to the Super Bowl as well. Um, it's crazy, man. I, I like it's one of those games where you look back on it and it doesn't make sense how you managed to come up short. But I like I remember the last game of the regular season was a game against the Giants. And usually that time of year, if we had a playoff spot locked up, we were resting starters and just giving guys sort of like some time off. And to this day, I still sort of feel like we sacrificed a shot at the perfect season for the Super Bowl. Like if we had just rested players, if we hadn't given them as much tape, as much film on that game, if we had just like done whatever, maybe we still would have came out and won. I don't know. Maybe we wouldn't have had to face the Giants. And 
yeah, maybe, uh, maybe a lot of things happen differently. Um, I can certainly understand why that would be one of your favorite picks. I think it's a favorite of a lot of non-Patriots fans for sure. And it was a great game too, you know? Yeah. So that that was the other thing too. Um, I'll I'll say this. I've said it many times on the podcast as well, that despite the fact that you guys did not win that Super Bowl, I still consider that 2007 Patriots team to be the best in NFL history. Talk about, they just absolutely boat race teams and, and crush the soul out of, out of so many teams, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs. And, I, I really don't think that there's another team, even the perfect, you know, 72 Dolphins, I think it was, they you know, or any team that we've seen since the those seven Pats, I still think that that's the best team to ever, ever lace them up in the NFL. Didn't win the Super Bowl, but still think they're the best. I don't even think that's the best Patriots team of all time. <laughs> like, oh, come on, dude. You had Brady to Randy Moss that year. Brady threw what, like 50 touchdowns? I don't, they I don't didn't... see how you could say that. You got to win. You got to win. You got to win the big game. Uh, my favorite Patriots team of all time was the uh, the Super Bowl 49 team that that won it all against uh, against the Seahawks. I think if you look at the roster as a whole, that was probably the most impressive group we had on both sides. Um, Darrell Revis was on that defense. He was incredible that year. Um, huge part of the reason why we were able to win the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, you had guys like like Gronk, Edelman, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, like James White. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Um, if I had to pick my favorite Super Bowl game, not including my team, funnily enough, I'm I'm actually also picking a game with with my host's favorite team in it. <laughs> I was gonna go with Steelers Cardinals. Uh, that's Super yes, Bowl sir. Uh, Super Bowl forty three, where Big Ben got his second ring. Um, there was the San Antonio Holmes toe tap catch in the corner of the end zone. People, I think a lot of people forget that Larry Fitzgerald scored a touchdown about two minutes before that on like a 60 or 70 yard bomb where he just ran right through the Pittsburgh defense and gave the Cardinals a lead. Mm-hmm. Like James Harrison had that crazy interception return touchdown as well. Um, that was actually one of the one of the what ifs I wanted to talk about. Did you probably know more than most general sports fans, I assume you know this because of you being a Steelers fan. Harrison was supposed to blitz that play. And I am he, aware. he just read it pre-snap and dropped back instead. The rest is history. Um, I don't know if you guys win that game, if, if not for that play. I mean, theoretically, if let's say you hold Arizona to a field goal there, uh, the game's tied 10 all going to half. Whereas if they score a touchdown, they're leading 14, 10 going into the half instead of you guys being up 17, seven and eventually just winning by a few points. Yeah, exactly. This is my favorite Super Bowl of all time, obviously biased, but yeah, that play is, I consider it the greatest play in, in Super Bowl and NFL history. Obviously again, it's a subjective opinion of it, but you're right. He was supposed to blitz on the play. And to this day, I don't know the exact reason why he didn't other than what you alluded to. Maybe he just read something in the Arizona formation, but you're right. We don't win the Super Bowl if he doesn't make that play because it's a 14 point swing at the end of the half right there. The Cardinals are about to score a touchdown and Harrison picks it off and takes it 101 yards for a touchdown as time expires at the end of the half. So it's a 14 point swing. And I encourage anybody to to go back and watch the play because there's so many things going on once he actually does intercept the ball. He kind of runs into his own blocker, Deshae Townsend, our cornerback. So it's like not even like he went off to the races, so to speak. 
And there was an early flag thrown on the play. It was on Arizona, but I thought in real time when the flag was thrown, like, oh man, there's a block in the back that's going to bring it back no matter what. And then the third factor that goes into that play is if you look at it, Larry Fitzgerald is illegally running out of bounds down the sidelines. He goes out of bounds under his own power, runs down the sideline out of bounds, and then comes back into play to make the tackle on Harrison. Harrison scores right at the goal line. So even if they had tackled him a, a short, the Steelers still, in theory, should have gotten another play, an untimed down after that, because that's illegal touching or it's it's illegal to do that and go out or it's technically called delay a game i think if you see it on uh, punts where like the gunner goes out of bounds on on purpose and it, it's a flag but so many things went down into that play but fortunately harrison was able to score and yeah i consider it the greatest play in super bowl history we don't win without it the toe tap was insane as well and what people forget is Ben Roethlisberger had a beautiful ball to San Antonio Holmes a couple of plays earlier in the end zone that Holmes dropped. And Ben had the confidence to go right back to him, find him in the corner of the end zone over like three defenders. That drive that ensued after the Fitzgerald uh, catch and run uh, to put the Cardinals up ahead in the game for the first time all, all night, that drive started back near our own 10-yard line because there was a holding call on the, the first play that backed us up 10 yards. So we were already faced with a first and 20 right off the bat. And they just couldn't cover San Antonio Holmes on that last drive. It was Ben to San Antonio the whole way through. I thought it was phenomenal. Ice in the veins from from my Hall of Fame quarterback, franchise quarterback, and San Antonio, man, Super, Super Bowl MVP, super, certainly deserving. So I'm getting chills just speaking about it right now. It's it's great to relive it, but I'm happy that you tell. chose that as your favorite one. I can tell. Yeah, I mean, that was the second Super Bowl in four years for the Steelers. A um, couple years ago, you had another opportunity against the Green Bay Packers. You could have gone three for six, and I think that would have really cemented Roethlisberger and that Steelers generation as a dynasty because I think – all things considered right now, even though you made it to that next Super Bowl, it's you got to have that third win to really be considered a dynasty. Um, still an amazing team. And the transition from Bill Cowers last year to to Tomlin taking over and, and things sort of changing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk really about that Packers Steelers game, but the biggest thing I remember from from that Super Bowl is uh, Lil Wayne's remix to black and yellow. <laughs> Where he like, I didn't watch anything at the half of that one. I'll be full disclosure. They no, were no, no, no. At the half and playing so bad, it oh, was. I couldn't even. Oh, that wasn't the halftime performance. No, I, I it wasn't a halftime was. performance. It was just oh. a song he put out like after the game, after they won. And oh, I, I got you. I remember listening to. I, I think I I listened to that song a lot because I was a big Lil Wayne fan at the time. I think that was like um, time with the timing of that. That was probably like when I was in like seventh, eighth grade, somewhere around there. So yeah, that would make sense. That was when, uh, that was when I was listening to a lot of Carter three and, and so on and so on. Um, <laughs> did you say you, you couldn't even watch at halftime that you like walked out of uh, Super Bowl 45 we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Super Bowl 45. Cause they were losing at, at the half. I was so like, and they were playing so bad. They did score a touchdown, if I remember correctly, at the towards the end of the half. I think Ben found Heinz Ward to to bring it a little bit closer. But Green Bay dominated the first half, and I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't sit still. So I had this like mini basketball hoop in my basement that I just went down and I shot. I, I had this little marker in my basement where I, I lined up for what I called like a free throw on my on my mini hoop, and I shot free throws the whole halftime show, and then. You know, my dad called me up when the when we were about to kick off in the in the second half. 
I just couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I had to be doing something to take my mind off of it. Um, it's the second most devastating sporting event that I've ever had to endure. And uh, Richard Mendenhall fumble at the end was just brutal, but damn. What's the, what's the first out of curiosity, 2015 wildcard game when Jake Arietta shut out the pirates, the, the game, like the pirates weren't like close to winning that at any point, but I truly thought that pirates team had what it takes or had what it took to win the world series that year. They won 98 games. And um, that was like the third year of that mini run that the pirates had back 13 through 15. And it's yeah. just like, and then it all kind of fell apart after that. So that was number one, Super Bowl 45, number two. Now I went from chills and excitement to just depression, just like that. <laughs> well, my, so my, uh, the most crushing defeat of my Patriots fandom was neither of, of the Super Bowls against the Giants. For me, it was the loss against wow. the Eagles that actually hurt me way more. Okay. Um, that was another good one too. Cause, cause the Eagles game, I mean, if you go back and, and you look at it, um, it was, it was a good game, but I didn't have it amongst my favorites just because it was a little ridiculous. So many offensive records were set in this one. It was a 41 33 final score. Philly has that stupid Philly special play. Like I don't even know for all I know, Nick Foles could be living on a ranch in the middle of nowhere with no connection to society. And he may as well be because he, he hasn't done anything since this Super Bowl. I still can't believe like, like Eli Manning's going to be a hall of famer, right? Nobody's going to give a fuck about Nick Foles in 25, 30, 40 years. Okay. <laughs> and here he is having a better offensive performance against the Patriots in this game. And, and that was why they won. Uh, Cause our defense just couldn't get any stops after this game was over. Um, my girlfriend at the time was over at our house watching the game and I remember the game ended and I couldn't like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't, I just sat in silence watching the Eagles celebration, the awards presentation, all the post game stuff. I sat there for like two hours, just watching, like not talking to anybody. Meanwhile, like, we're, we had a Super Bowl party, so like everybody's leaving. All the guests and stuff are going home, like friends, people I know. I'm not saying goodbye to any of them, whatever. I'm just sitting there like depressed, watching the Eagles celebrate a Super Bowl that I thought we should have won. If we did, it would have been back-to-back -back Super Bowls, 2017, 2018. Uh, we won the Super Bowl in 2019, so theoretically it could have been three straight and four in five years, which has never been done before. Um that's the one that pains me the most. It's it's not the Giants Super Bowls because I, I think those Giants teams deserved to win those games more. The Eagles deserved to win this game too. Um, I just I felt like it was more of a missed opportunity. It was it was like your own version of that. That's Stephon Diggs watching the AFC Championship meme. That was yeah, because like. It, it, like offensively we did everything we could. Brady yeah, had Brady an awesome threw for game. over five hundred yards in that one. Yeah. I think right S set a record, set a postseason record. I, I think either Amendola or I think it was Amendola also set a postseason record in that game as well for um for like most yards or something like that, most receptions in a game. I don't remember. Um, yeah, man, and it just came down to. I remember we sat Malcolm Butler in that game, and that was a big talking point. Um, he didn't get a single snap on defense, and this was a guy that was our number one cornerback like all year. We just decided not to play him in the biggest game of the season for, for some reason. Um, 
people were, were saying maybe it was because he was sick. Some people were saying maybe it was because he was out at a strip club the night before the game. Nobody really knew. And uh, it's still something that's debated to this day. Interesting. Didn't know all those tidbits, or at least I didn't remember him about Malcolm Butler. I was a little taken aback that the Super Bowl 42 wasn't the most devastating one, but the light that you shed on this loss to Philadelphia, and I didn't didn't realize that that would have, in theory, been like three Super Bowls in a row if you would have been able to pull that one off. I can kind of see looking back in hindsight about how that one could be more devastating. And yeah, Nick Foles is a backup. And by the way, I hate the term Philly special. If there, if there are Eagles fans out there listening to this, I'm sorry. That is not your play. Every NFL team has a play like that. It's just a wide, <laughs> it's just a wide receiver reverse pass. It is a very commonplace play that I guarantee is in, in, in any playbook. You just you just do a re- wide receiver reverse pass. Philly didn't invent it. Okay. People have been running that play for years before that. So that's the last thing I want to say on that Super Bowl. Besides, so we talked about the 2007 New York Giants, the 2011 New York Giants, since we're on the subject of uh, devastating Patriots Super Bowl losses. Um, that second Giants Super Bowl winning team, they were the first NFL, they were the first team in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with a negative point differential on the season. Um, and they were just the third team in NFL history to reach the Super Bowl while winning fewer than 10 games. Um, since the 16-game season was put in place. Um, also, the last Giants team to win the NFC East uh, 13 years ago. Now it was, just to remind you guys. And it was the last playoff appearance under Tom Coughlin. Um, this was like the golden era for the Giants, almost, of, of this generation of Giants fans, I would assume. And, and this was sort of like the bookend to that chapter because everything that happened after that was... Um, I mean, there was the the Odell Beckham Jr. run when he came into the league and things were exciting for Giants fans, but it's like the stat says, they, they haven't won the NFC East since then. Um, this one hurt as well for me, but also a great game. There was the, uh, the Randy Moss Hail Mary attempt at the end of this game where the Pats could have had the ball within the, like, 15 10 yard line or something like that with, like, 10 seconds to play, but the ball bounced in and out of his hands. Um, another great Cinderella story I had was the 2005 Steelers, which, which is a team you could probably talk more, more about Paul, um, made the playoffs as a six seed after a four game win streak to end the year. Uh, at the time they were just the second team ever to win three consecutive road games to advance to a Super Bowl and the first since the 1970 merger to win a Super Bowl without playing a single home playoff game. Um, Ben Roethlisberger officially on the map after this one, Bill Cowher, gets a Super Bowl win. Do you remember a lot about this game? You you were still pretty young, but I would assume you at least remember some things, right? Oh, yeah, I remember everything, uh, to be honest with you, uh, about Super Bowl Forty. The thing about that team, you called them a Cinderella, and, I mean, I guess they were because they were a sixth seed, but that was a really, really good football team that I, I think is a lot better than your typical standard sixth seed. I mean, they were still 11-5. and five. That shows you just how competitive the AFC was that year that they were the sixth seed in 11 and five. Uh, but for me, the and the year of Super Bowl 40 was more about the road to get there. Uh, that was Jerome Bettis's last year. He was uh, hanging him up and Detroit where the Super Bowl was played was his hometown. And he had never won a Super Bowl before. And the the whole time the, the mantra was among the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, players was 
the road to Detroit, you know, just get the bus back to Detroit. And while Ben Roethlisberger and with all due respect in the actual Super Bowl 40 played pretty horrendously, I uh, did have a rush, like a QB sneak rushing touchdown. But other than that, didn't do too much. Um, the passing touchdown in that game was actually uh, Antoine Randall to, to Heinz Ward on a gadget play, which again was yeah. a wide receiver reverse pass. Okay. So like we're running it a decade earlier than the Pittsburgh than special. Did. Yeah. No one called it the Pittsburgh special, but whatever. Okay. Philly fans. Um, to me, it was about the road to get there. And Ben was phenomenal in the playoffs in that one. He went into Indianapolis and beat Peyton Manning in the divisional round when Indianapolis was the number one seed overall in the playoffs that year and was phenomenal. Everybody thought we were just going to come out and run the football because we had one of the best rushing attacks in the league that year. Willie Parker uh, was a phenomenal running back, and he actually had a 75-yard touchdown in Super Bowl 40. But we came out slinging it, and Ben was throwing it all around the yard. And we, we got up on Indianapolis and were able to hold on. Obviously, I could go into that game that in and of itself maybe another time because this is Super Bowl nostalgia. And then Ben was dominant in mile high the following week in Denver. And it was all about the road to get to Super Bowl 40, just get the bus back to Detroit. And uh, that's what I remember about that Super Bowl run more than anything. I, at the time, we had some great family friends that were Steeler fans. And uh, we were over at their house for the game, the Super Bowl party, I remember really well um, at halftime of that game, sitting down at my buddy's PlayStation 2 for uh, to play some NHL like 2004 or 2005, I guess it must have been, and getting absolutely curb stops. I think this kid put <laughs> up like 20 goals on me in 20 minutes. I'm not even kidding. Um, Jeez. It's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was my first ever time playing a hockey video game too. Uh, I, I, I hope remember, you've gotten better since then. <laughs> sort of, not really. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I feel like, um, like to really talk about the Super Bowls of this era, you, it, the conversation kind of goes through Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger. Like those were the guys for the most part we saw competing in these games. Um, in our lifetime. And, and now Mahomes kind of gets the baton passed to him as well. Um, he's been a regular in these games. It's funny. The, the, the only game, there's only been a handful of games since, um, since 2001 Brady's first Super Bowl, in which it wasn't some iteration of Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Flacco, Mahomes, um, Rams, Bengals, 2022 Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, also a pretty good game. And, and that's kind of like the outlier right now uh, amongst those, at least just in recent history. Um, I actually, last year's Super Bowl, I actually thought was a great Super Bowl. Mahomes getting that comeback win um, in a sense, like cementing his legacy as a multi Super Bowl winner. Um, this year, he's got an opportunity to, to win another one as well. Like, like we talked about earlier, we're doing our, our picks and preview for, for this game later on in the week, but um Last year's Super Bowl, did that like do anything for you? Does that crack your list of one of your favorites? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Um, the you can call it what you want at the end of the game, the holding call, non-holding call, whatever. But I thought it was just a great display of offense. I mean, you you had two quarterbacks that were playing at, at the highest level that they possibly could. Um, Mahomes had three touchdowns through the air in that one. 
Hertz had multiple rushing touchdowns. I forget what his passing stat line looked like. And it was one of those situations where you just felt like whoever was going to get the ball last was going to win. And obviously the, I do think it was a holding call, but I understand the whole, like, can you really make that call that late in the game? You know, it'll be debated for a while with the, the holding call on Juju Smith-Schuster, but you know, that was, that was the deal after that phenomenal. I think one of the, the most important plays that'll be forgotten, uh, Jarek McKinnon sliding down right before the goal line so that the uh, chiefs could keep the clock running and just set up for the field goal to leave Philadelphia as little time as possible. It will be a forgotten play in history five, 10 years from now, but it's not one that I forget a very smart play heads up play and a very unselfish play as well. Um, so yeah, that one, that one certainly cracks the list. I do have two other Super Bowls that I really wanted to talk about, unless you had another point on the Chiefs Eagles one. There were two others that I wanted to bring up. Do you have any other point on the Chiefs Eagles? No, I don't have any other points on Chiefs Eagles, but I, I also have a few other games I want to, or moments from games at least that I want to mention before we fully dive into our our favorites, if you okay. will. Um, my favorite Super Bowl moment of all time, I think. Even like, okay, so I can't say of all time because there's so many great Pats moments. And and despite me trying to be unbiased, those do hold a lot of merit to me in my sports fandom and, and appreciation for these games. So um, going with the non-favorite Patriots Super Bowl memory, Devin Hester's opening kickoff return touchdown. Oh, you stole one of mine. <laughs> that is, well, I'll never forget it because like, Hester was such a unique player, especially now in hindsight, like looking back at what his talents were and and how he was a game breaker pretty much strictly as a return man. Like, you know, as well in this game, like given the magnitude of it being a Super Bowl, if he gets the ball on a return opportunity just once and has even a slightly good return, he's not touching the ball probably for the rest of the game. So to to open the Super Bowl up with a kick return touchdown, can you imagine the betting odds on this nowadays? If Hester was playing now and was like, yeah, the vaulted return, the vaunted returner that he is, and and everything, like first touchdown bet, Devin Hester return touchdown plus another prop for Devin Huster to return the opening kickoff that could net you a profit of several thousands of dollars, and. uh Hell, maybe somebody actually pulled that off back then. I, I don't know. But, yeah, I'll never forget that. And um, listening to Hester break it down after the game as well, kind of sharing si- similar sentiments to what I just had where he was like, I knew that, you know, I, I needed to make the most of whatever opportunity that I got because if, if I got a good opportunity and I did something good, odds are I wasn't going to get many chances after that. Um, Chicago still lost that game. And for me, that that kind of makes it like – even more important in a way, if you think about it, like the fact that I, he, he did it I in a losing effort. Yeah. Cause I still think it gets talked about. Everybody I talk to has that as one of their, I mean, yeah. like I said, you took it, you took the words out of my mouth. That was one of the things I was going to bring up where everybody still talks about that in such like awe and lore, even though they lost it, you know, it's, it, it, it is unbelievable. Everybody remembers that, that kickoff return touchdown. Anybody who watches football. Well, it's just like the the moment, like the kickoff of the Super Bowl. It's, it's yeah, you what get you, action right away. Yeah, it's what you think of of, of, of as a kid. All the the flash bulbs pulp, popping around the stadium, right? 
um, the flyover of the Jets five, 10 minutes before the national anthem, players crying on the sidelines, the emotions of the moment and everything and the anticipation. And then you start off the game with a return touchdown from the most dynamic return man in history. This is like a, a signature moment for the special teams side of the football. Basically it's like the greatest special teams moment, maybe in, in history, arguably. Yeah. I mean, yes, there have been game winning field goals kicked, but, um, this I'm pretty sure this is the only kickoff return touchdown in a Super Bowl. It's it's definitely the the first, the only kickoff return touchdown to open a Super Bowl that I know of. Yeah, I think that there might have been some other kickoff return touchdown, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. And yeah, none to open up. So You're probably that's right. a good one. Um, speaking in the same breath of return touchdowns and against the Indianapolis Colts, uh, I got to bring up the uh, Saints Colts Super Bowl. Yeah. Super yeah. Bowl 44, if I remember correctly. Also had this on my list. Uh, Tracy Porter intercepting that and taking it back to the house to seal the deal for New Orleans. I remember that pretty vividly. Just felt so good for the city of New Orleans to get that Super Bowl win. Such a diehard, devout franchise that had really had no success up until that point, up until Drew Brees uh, came and turned things around there. I mean, they were laughing stock of football back when Archie Manning was the quarterback there and you know the bags over the fans heads uh, you know they had been through all of it and and the, the culmination of it and the, the energy of Tracy Porter taking it back to the house and sealing the deal for the Saints there as a neutral fan watching that game I don't think I've ever been more happy for an NFL team than I was for the Saints that day so that and that though the game I guess maybe wouldn't dictate like the final score is 31 to 17 if I remember correct so like the score in and of itself wouldn't dictate that it was like a great game, but let's keep in mind. I mean, the Colts are driving down to potentially tie the football game on that drive and, and Porter taking it back to the house to seal it. You know, it could have been a way different story could have been, you know, 24, 24, maybe you head to overtime or something like that. If that play doesn't happen. So Tracy Porter and the new Orleans saints, that's another favorite memory of mine. I'm surprised when you first started talking about that game, I thought you were going to go with the onside kick to open up the second half. The onside kick. I that's, I mean, that was in my notes. I forgot to mention it, but yeah, the that's, onside that's kick coming the, out of the half, that's ballsy, dude. I think that's the way more notable moment. I mean, the, Saints, the Saints were trailing when right. they did that. Like, think about it this way. If, if Indianapolis gets that, they've got a 10-6 lead and the ball at your own, like, 30-something yard line to start the second half. Like – you may as well put put the game to bed, right? <laughs> and how do we talk about Sean Payton if that doesn't work yeah, out? You know, exactly. Do we, do we consider Sean Payton the type of coach that that he is today? Because if not only that, not only do you, can you make the argument that the Saints might have lost the game, but all the criticism would have come back on Payton. You know yeah, what I'm saying? So it's one thing to just lose the Super Bowl. It's another thing like he probably would have been the scapegoat. One hundred percent. I I totally agree with you. Um. That was a game, that decision just alone was something where, like, <laughs> you have to really, really, really feel good about it. Because it's like you said, I mean, if it doesn't work out, not only are you changing perhaps the outcome of the game, you're changing the perception of you as a head coach, which with, uh, I mean, let's be real, if Peyton doesn't have that Super Bowl win to his credit, it's he's not talked about the same way now. I mean, Breeze, Breeze, Breeze. Well, Breeze. no, Sean Payton. Oh, Sean Payton. I'm sorry because he's Payton's face and Peyton Manning. I 
I got you. No, you're good. You understand you're good. the confusion. Yeah, yeah. You're I was right, going Sean with Sean Payton. Payton. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Drew Brees probably still puts up all the stats and this and that, but Sean Payton, I mean, it's a lot. That changes a lot of things, at least in terms of his career arc. Um, yeah, that was crazy. And and that was the time in my life where when Peyton was still playing and, and uh, Manning's been retired for a handful of years now. So it's hard to really like still, it's hard to put myself back into that mindset where every year it was like either the Patriots are facing the Colts at some point or we're hoping for the Colts to have the most devastating end of their season as possible. And and that game was like, like one of my favorites as a Patriots fan without any rooting interest, just because of the way in which um, Manning and the Colts crashed and burned with that interception and everything at the end. It was so awesome. So awesome. I didn't have quite the disdain for Peyton Manning that you did, but it was good. It was, it was more so good to see just because of how happy I was for new Orleans as well. As what, I mentioned, what is your biggest Super Bowl? What if, like, if something happens differently, if this team wins, if so on and so on and so on, do you have one that immediately comes to mind? Um, it could be something that we've already gone over. If if you want to rehash it, I don't know if there was something else because because I've got a couple here that I haven't quite mentioned yet. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, I'll just gloss over it briefly. I mean, as a Steeler fan, I always think, what if Rashard Mendenhall didn't fumble and the Steelers end up scoring and winning in Super Bowl 45 and Ben's got three Super Bowls, you know, the Steelers are maybe referred to as a dynasty, like you said, uh, for winning the three Super Bowls in five years. And also on the converse, like what if Aaron Rodgers loses that Super Bowl and you know, he then probably is regarded as the greatest quarterback to never win a Super Bowl because that's the only one he's played in. But I don't want to, we've talked a lot about Steelers and Patriots, so I don't want to like talk too much about that. Although this next game I'm going to bring up is a Patriots game. I do wonder how we'd look at, at Matt Ryan had the Falcons been able to hold on and, and win that game. Um, yeah. You know, are we talking about him as maybe potential for the Hall of Fame? Like he does have an MVP under his belt. No. <laughs> I, dude, I, 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 think you know an mvp with a super bowl win as well like i think that you know there might be a case but i'm not saying that i would quite put him there but you know matt ryan had a pretty good career in atlanta i think it was as simple as just run the football once they had with like after julio jones made that incredible catch and there's like four minutes to go and they're up eight points run the fucking football dude instead of they, they like passing it and then they get the whole uh the sack the holding call they put themselves out of field goal range you just run the football like three three times make the pats use their timeouts you kick a field goal you go up 11 points you win the game so that that was a huge what if for me um you know maybe take a super bowl away from brady he's only got six and so those are the two things that stand out i can't yeah. believe we've gone this long without talking about the 28-3 game but it's uh <laughs> it's on my mind well i wanted to i wanted to save that obviously i've i've got the hat here mm -hmm. 28-3 thank you drew carroll for the for the birthday gift a few years ago um yeah, man, I uh, the Matt the Matt Ryan Hall of Fame nugget. That's an interesting note because you're right; he did. I'm not saying MVP that I think that, that he should be in the Hall of but Fame it, per se, but it would be a conversation. A yeah, it would be a conversation. A like odds are, he would be a fringe candidate, and people would would probably put that up for debate in certain circles. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Super Bowl. I I think it was. Um, uh 45 was it 
the Packers Steelers Packers series. was yeah. forty five. When yeah. when you left the the room at halftime to try and collect mm-hmm. yourself, the so similar story for me in the twenty eight to three game, right? Um, we are down twenty one to three at half, and I remember the first thing I see when the set when the first half ends is Lady Gaga's face on the screen at the roof of the Super Bowl. She's about to like cable jump basically onto into her show and i saw her face like pop up on my screen it's a close-up and she's singing at the camera i just turn the tv on mute i walk outside i slam the door behind me and i go for a 20 minute walk in our neighborhood like cursing to myself saying like i can't believe we're gonna lose this game like this we're gonna get blown out everybody's gonna be talking all off season about how brady's too old and this and that and like this is the end of the past dynasty like they're gonna blow it up and then little by little, they just started coming back and coming back and chipping away. Um, this was after the whole deflate gate thing happened in, in the off season prior. So Brady actually had to sit out the first four games of this season. And, and the Pats went three and one with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. And that was like a big thing as well. Um, this game was, and it is still my favorite Super Bowl game. And it was hard to pick between this one and the win against the, the Seahawks in the Super Bowl with the Malcolm Butler interception. Both of them were super dramatic wins. Both of them were huge in terms of um what they do for Brady's legacy and and how he's viewed. If he doesn't have that second prime, that second dynasty, people don't even though he would still have a ton of playoff accolades and stats, people wouldn't look at him the same way. Um but this 28 to three game to me, this was like people talk about Brady the way that they do and believe in, in his like magic, if you will, I think more because of this game than anything else, like coming down from 28 to three with less than 20 minutes on the clock, right? You had to complete two, two point conversions down the stretch to make it happen. You get the ball back in overtime. As soon as we did the coin toss, as soon as we won the coin toss in OT. Yeah, I knew it was over too. I was, yeah, I was like, this game's over. We're winning. There's no way Tom is, is going to let us not score a touchdown here. It's got to happen. It has to. And for it to end in, with the ball in James White hands at the end, James White, such an underrated running back in NFL history. I, I mean, like guys across the league who played at that time will tell you he had some days where he was like Marshall Falk out there being able to contribute both in the passing game and the run game. He didn't have a really long NFL career and the Patriots had so many running backs that they utilized that he was never like the full on feature back. He never really had like a full season display like that, but <laughs> he was great for PPR and fantasy. <laughs> um, 28 to three game. That that's my favorite for sure. I, I just remember like the range of emotions and then how my family celebrated after the win. I, I think like, that was, I mean, it's the greatest Super Bowl comeback of all time. It's one of the four greatest playoff comebacks in NFL history. Um, Tom Brady's in the game, total legacy game for him. Um, 51st Super Bowl, it's right around that like even number. And it was the uh, second Super Bowl in, in three years for the Pats. So that had a little extra oomph to it as well. Um, yeah, that that's my favorite game for sure. And it, it's... Like I said, it was close between that and the Malcolm Butler game, but um, that's got to be the one that I go with. I still can't believe the Falcons gave it away. I, I mean, with the play calling down the stretch, and then they actually like 
I mean, what? There was like three minutes and change left, and they had that crazy Julio Jones toe tap catch on the sideline, and then there was yeah, that's what I was talking about. And then they and then they didn't just run the football from there, and they, yeah. they tried to get cute and they passed it and weren't even able to get a field goal. Didn't take time off the clock. They had a play action pass, which resulted in a sack. And then they had another pass play, which there was like a holding call. And then there was another sack after that. They ended up having to punt. We get the ball back, go down the field, score, tie it with a two point conversion. Falcons never touched the ball again after that. So it's, yeah. I mean, that like totally flipped the game on its head completely. Yeah, it's it's up there as well. So I, I think about that as as a what if, what or at least how we talk about Matt Ryan without that. Um, I can't let you get away with the fact that you just compared James White to Marshall Falk. By the way, Marshall Falk is the twelfth all time leading rusher, with over twelve thousand rushing yards. So, um, sorry, I, I meant but, not in terms of like overall career stats, just in terms of like his skill set, being able to be just as effective in the passing game as he was in the running game. He was a real dual threat, and he. He didn't have a longer career, but he's one of the most respected Patriots players of the last 20 years, for sure. Maybe so, but he is no Marshall Falk. No, Sorry, he's, I'm not, he's I'm, I'm not letting you get away with that one. Listen, this is not this was not my own opinion. This was something I've heard guys like uh, I was actually watching an interview today where uh, LaShawn McCoy talked about playing with Brady and and uh, winning that Super Bowl in Tampa Bay over Kansas City. And, and they talked a little bit about James White in that one. And, and he was the one who made a comparison of James White to Marshall Falk, not me. So go look at that interview and, and get angry at him, not your boy here. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, another big what if for me is um, <laughs> this is the part where I turn into a Pat's homer. Um, it actually is Pete, uh, Car- Pete Carroll deciding to throw the football. I think you turned into it. a Pat's Homer when you said, all right, welcome back fifth and long fans. <laughs> <laughs> when I woke up this morning. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, but I like Pete Carroll throwing the football on the goal line when you've got Marshall, uh, not Marshall, um, Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch in your backfield. That to me is the biggest one. If like, I know Hightower stuffed him on the play before, but. If he breaks through the O line, just picks up like three yards, it's back to back Super Bowls for for the Seahawks. Yeah, and how do we look at Russ as well? That's yeah, a good point there too. Yeah, it, that would have been the first back to back Super Bowl win since uh, the Patriots in two thousand three, two thousand four, and the year before too. Like was uh, forty three to eight. And yeah, I, at my personal opinion is that the, you know, the Legion, not like Russ was bad by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think he was still awarded Super Bowl MVP and that beat down of Denver, but he was like the Legion, the Legion of boom. I think some people can make the argument, the Legion of boom kind of helped carry him at least in, in the earlier years. And uh, yeah, I, I think Russ honestly deserves a lot more blame than he gets for that play. Everybody kind of blames Pete Carroll for the bad play call. And and yeah, he deserves, but he's the one that made some blame. But Russ, but yeah, Russ, what's he thinking? He's supposed to be an experienced quarterback at that point. He's throwing over the middle at the goal line. Come on, what are you doing? Roll out a little bit or something. Be smarter with your your decision there. I mean, you have to you have to read well, the defense as well. We're going to talk about him as an elite quarterback. Something he's got to take into consideration. You have to think about it like game situation though. That's like time's running down, right? You only got a couple timeouts left. Situation is you're you're probably not going to have some big long drawn out play like. It's probably a quick snap throw shot at the end zone. Maybe another one after that, then you run the football if it's four down territory. Um, but at the same time, like 
he he missed the throw sort of like it's not like it, it was totally outside of the reach it's just malcolm butler jumped the route man and um like that was a, a play that the patriots practiced against in practice that week it was something they had on tape and it was something that they had coaching points on specifically for butler and they never got it right once that week of practice but Somehow Butler was able to just time it right in this one, trusted his instincts, went and got the ball. Um, that to me was – that's that's the greatest defensive play in, in Super Bowl history to me. I, I understand James Harrison with the pick six, but it didn't like seal a Super Bowl win. This did. This kept the other team out of the end zone. It was Brady's first Super Bowl win in for that second dynasty Um like, I'll never forget the reactions on the sideline of the team. Everybody just freaking out. It went from total doom and gloom. Our season is over. We're losing another Super Bowl. Three straight Super Bowl losses, including the two Giants games, to now, oh, my God, did he just pick that? Are we going to win? What? What? We're going to win? It was it was insane, man. That was, uh, that was like, the 28-3 to game is was really hard to pick against as my favorite, and this game was a big reason why, because I, I think that the drama in this one was just as great. Brady was down 14 in the second half. He led that awesome comeback. There was the Edelman little, like, uh, shake route to the outside that turned into the game-winning touchdown eventually. Um, yeah, man, it's – I am so damn lucky to be a fan of, of the team I am, um, for sure. Definitely. Well – it's uh, it certainly has turned into a Pat Steeler homer <laughs> session. But what can we say? Those teams have been in the Super Bowl a lot over the the past few years. Yeah, I I mean, look, it's it's not like every single week we're spending all this time talking about every single one of these games. Even though some people would say I do. Um, yes. But it's it's look, it's hard not to consider it considering what we're, we're going over 24 years of super bowl history essentially brady's been to 10 of those 23 super bowls that we're talking about so it's it's hard to just gloss over like half of the super bowls that we're using as reference right yeah no i i, I agree i agree i was making it more of a joke but, but uh it's it's true though it's true um some other what ifs just involving the patriots what if belichick plays for overtime in 2001 Instead of trying to, to go for that game-winning drive where Adam Vinatieri kicks the field goal. Like John Madden was saying, I don't agree with this decision here. I would play for overtime. If he does, if the Rams win that Super Bowl, does Brady even continue to start for the Pats? Do they run it back with Tom the next year? Does Brady win another Super Bowl? Do, does Belichick, is he looked at the same? Um, does the, the, are the Rams looked at as a dynasty? Because remember, they had that Super Bowl win a few years before. Uh, the first Super Bowl of the 2000s uh, against Tennessee, where where even that was a great game, coming down to uh, the game-saving tackle at, at the one-yard line. Um, yeah, man, it, it's it's crazy how much, how many like if you think about it, how many Super Bowls Tom Brady's been in? It's it's absurd. Um, what are your five favorite Super Bowl games of all time? If you had to pick, okay. Uh, doing some thinking and and uh, I'm going to start with number five being Super Bowl 44 Saints over Colts Tracy Porter with the interception return for the touchdown to seal that one the onside kick I think we've already given that that Super Bowl some love and again as much as it was for just 
the game itself, I thought uh, New Orleans finally getting a Super Bowl ring and that that franchise experiencing success was was really good to see as a neutral observer in that one. So I got Saints Colts as number five. Number four, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this one yet, but uh, I see it's on your notes. It's on mine as well. The uh, the blackout game between the Niners and the Ravens. That was a phenomenal game because Baltimore looked like they were just cruising, destroying San Francisco early on. Anquan Bolden was a beast that whole playoffs um, and was again in the Super Bowl. I think he had like 100 yards and a touchdown. And then the lights go off. And and then, you know, as a, like the national viewership is just waiting now, what's going to happen? It's another big break in the, in the in the Super Bowl. It's like, what's going on? And then San Francisco just you know kicks it into gear after that. That was the first time I ever remember also like the whole, oh, is the NFL rigged? Did they do this now to, to make the game more competitive? Blah, blah, blah that whole scheme popped up in that one. But uh, I remember in that one, there was a, I thought that there should have been a pass interference call in San Francisco's two point conversion attempt that would have tied the game at that point at 31. Um, but instead San Francisco is still down to 31 to 29. And then I think Tucker hit a, a field goal after that to kind of ice it, but phenomenal game there. So I got that at what was one of my, at four. That was also, um, that blackout, there was also some um, – there were some theories that there was, like, a bomb or something that was prevented from being detonated inside the stadium as well, and and that had to do with the blackout, that it was something – Oh, like, I don't remember hearing about that. Yeah, some people have, uh, like um, – what's the word? Um, assumed isn't, isn't the right word I'm looking for. Um, Oh, they think that it's somewhat covered up the, the yeah. reality of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been something I've heard before. I don't really believe either. I think it was just like bad electric. Well, I'm not saying I don't believe it per se. I just, I had never heard that at, at, at the time. Um, So interesting. Maybe, maybe do some, uh some research then go through, uh see where my scrolling takes me on that. That game's yeah. in my top five as well, though. I, I've got it as my fourth, just like you. Um really unique game great comeback for some reason i misremembered it and i thought that the niners were leading before the blackout and the ravens came back mm, and won ravens were up big yeah right but in reality the ravens were up big the niners came back and then the ravens went on to to like retake the lead and win yep yeah so that was a phenomenal game the back and forth of it as well and, and like i said the extenuating circumstances were out Around the lights. Um, number three, I will put your your twenty eight to three game reluctantly in there. Uh, I mean, just looking at it objectively, the how the game went, the fact that it was the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, and the game goes to overtime. It was a phenomenal game in and of itself, and I can't believe we haven't brought up the Edelman catch as well. Oh my I mean, god, I, I, unbelievable, know, unbelievable! The, the, the fact that he's able to get his hands underneath that ball and and secure it and prevent it from hitting the ground is is phenomenal yeah. too, and it's because like there had been so many great catches that have gone against Tom Brady, you know, in yeah. Super Bowls, the, the Tyree catch the Mario Manningham along the sideline in the second Super Bowl that the giants beat you. And then also in that same game, you have Julio Jones's uh, toe tap and it's like, uh, you know, crazy, but it was, uh, it was interesting that a, a phenomenal catch actually worked in the Patriots favor for once. Yeah. I remember when that happened live, my instant instinct was, I think he caught that ball. Like I've, I'm pretty sure oh, he, he I grabbed it. Live time. Yeah, live time. I was like, all right, that's definitely incomplete. And then you watch a couple angles. You're like, oh, crap. No, I thought he had it. And then they actually show the replay. And I was like, 
I didn't realize he was that close. I didn't realize it was literally like an inch off the ground. I thought he secured it basically like as he was coming down, which he sort of did, but even then he bobbled it a little bit while, while he was uh, securing it, like just less than an inch or, or two over the, over the grass. Um, it's one of the best catches I've ever seen just in like the magnitude Super Bowl. It wasn't a Super Bowl winning catch like the San Antonio Holmes one. So I, I can understand why that would take the cake for some, but in terms of like degree of difficulty, like I, I don't know. I haven't seen many catches like that. That was pretty crazy. And it's uh Jules is my guy. That's my, that's uh, I love Tom Brady is, is um, a sports icon and he's uh He's like um, almost like a he's almost like a superhero figure to me. But Edelman, I think, is is one of my is probably my favorite Patriot if I had to pick one. Interesting, yeah. interesting opinion there. Um, on the topic of great catches, uh, so my number two Super Bowl of all time, I've, I think I've already alluded to it, is Super Bowl Forty Two Giants over Patriots, the David Tyree helmet catch. Uh, throw to Plaxico Burst, the fade in the end zone to seal the day or to win it for New York. And just the fact that the, uh, everything surrounding that game, the David versus Goliath of it all and preventing New England from having the perfect season. I got that at number two. And then, of course, number one, you guys all know it, Super Bowl 43. So many things went into it. You have Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger versus Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. Uh, phenomenal game. Larry Fitzgerald was out of his mind that whole playoffs. You know, running past our defense and, and Troy Polamalu chasing after him. You know, I was in fifth grade at the time. I started crying, thinking that we were going to lose. And then uh, Ben gets it together, leads basically a 90-yard drive, finds Antonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone for the toe tap. James Harrison interception return touchdown at the end of the half. I mean, what's what's there not to love? You know, so any season, any Super Bowl where the Steelers win, it's going to have a special place in my heart. That's my favorite of all time. Patrick, give me your top five list. Um. Okay, so I wanted to I wanted to switch it up because I didn't want to just do a top five Pat Super Bowls, which if I was just doing this like as it's intended to be, that's probably what it would be. I would just pick my five favorite Pat Super Bowl wins, and I still could if you want. I could rank those if you if you really choose. Now um, let's throw some other teams into the mix. Yeah, we, we've talked enough about them, and I'm still going to highlight a couple of Patriots games in this one. So, um. Number five, I actually have uh, that that Chiefs Eagles Super Bowl from last year. I thought it was a great game. I, I really enjoyed it, start to finish. Um, high scoring game as well. There was a lot of offense. Um, two of the best teams in, in the league that year. It wasn't like like some big Cinderella story team. It was just like two of the better teams in football squaring off. Who deserves it more? And uh, Mahomes took home the ring and, and well deserved at that. Uh, the Harbowl, the blackout game, I had as my number four game as well, just like you did. Um, similar reasons as well. I just think in terms of other Super Bowls that we've had uh, really ever, that, that was a super unique one. With with the blackout, with everything else, it was the – I believe it was the last game of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed's career as well for yeah, both of them. Yeah, that's right, yep. So, it, like, an end to the careers of two undisputed Hall of Famers, two of the best defensive players of all time. Ray Lewis played pretty much that whole game without a tricep <laughs> and it was still like making tackles and making big plays. You had Colin Kaepernick in a Super Bowl who now is um, a extremely polarizing NFL figure 
Um, it's crazy to think that that's a guy who like could, can't even get sniffed out for a job in the NFL. hasn't been able to, and yet he, he led a team to a Super Bowl appearance. Um, well, I'm not making this a Kaepernick segment. I, I get why he's not playing anymore. Um, the, the implications of that game though, I thought were pretty astounding. And um, the two fan bases, like those were two of the, of the better teams in the league. You had the Joe Flacco story going on and, and everything surrounding that. Then you had um, the, the Harbaugh brothers facing off against each other. It was just a really unique game and it almost had like a college football national championship sort of feel to it in a sense where like, it just didn't feel like a lot of how these other Super Bowls have felt. Um, I have Super Bowl 43 as my, as my third favorite that, um, Steelers Cardinals game. And just uh, again, going back to the drama of this game, you've got a couple quarterbacks who have both already won Super Bowls. They're both going for their second, um, the San Antonio Holmes catch the James Harrison, uh, pick six, even the Larry Fitzgerald's performance in this game, like so many awesome players. Um, and the view of this game now, I think in retrospect, a lot of people consider this to be one of, if not the greatest Super Bowls in history. I don't think it's just you and I, I think it's a lot of other people share that same sentiment for it. And, um, I think it's well-deserved. Um, my other two favorites though are both Patriots games and it's, it's Super Bowl 49. The Patriots win against the Seahawks is my second favorite. And then the 28 to three, uh, comeback game, Super Bowl 51 victory, the Patriots over the Atlanta Falcons. Those are my top two favorites. Um, the last things I will share regarding those games, um, Malcolm Butler's pick that, that like in terms of zero to hero just nobody really expected that guy to be making any plays on the ball in that game maybe even ever and and he kind of stepped up for us like halfway through that season got more playing time got more respect from the coaches got more opportunities and uh bill belichick famously deciding not to call a timeout at the goal line leading to pete carroll overthinking a little bit letting russell wilson throw the ball Butler is just in the right place at the run, right time. Brady famously gifts him his Super Bowl MVP truck after the game as well. A um, lot of lot of drama in that one, and and it's still a game that that brings me smiles. Sometimes when I'm really bored, I'll, I'll just throw on the highlights of that game or, or the full version of it on a YouTube or something, and and let it play in the background while I'm getting work done or something. And then we already talked a lot about the 28 to three game. I don't want to fully rehash that because, because we spent some good time on it already. Um, but yeah, that, that was just incredible. And, and it would be hard, I think for any Super Bowl to top the, the roller coaster that that game was and, and all the different highs and lows of it uh, from the Brady pick six to, to eventually coming all the way back and winning it from being down 28, three going into overtime. I think it's still like the only super bowl game in history that's gone to overtime as well. Um, yeah, man, that, that one takes the cake for me. That one takes the cake for me for sure. Um, I, I still have some memories of the earlier Pat super bowl wins, super bowl 36, 
Super Bowl 38, those Adam Vinatieri field goals to win the, win the game. I was really tempted to put one or both of those in there as my fifth favorite instead of the Mahomes comeback win. Um, I think I went with Mahomes win just because I remember it a little bit better. I was, I was pretty young for that first one. Uh, the Panthers Super Bowl, I actually remember pretty well. Um, but last year's game, I, I enjoyed a lot. I thought it was, it was a great display of, of talent from both teams. And I hope this year's Super Bowl uh, lives up to those expectations as well. Yep. Um, I think we covered all these Super Bowls pretty, pretty comprehensively. I think we've touched on at least in, in the past 20 years or so, um, uh, a good deal of them. If uh, there's a Super Bowl team out there that we haven't talked about, um, I guess I'm just saying this in terms of, because we haven't talked about Wade's Denver Broncos, but they <laughs> just haven't been involved in like a good Super Bowl. That was just a, a crappy game against Carolina, but we haven't talked about a Super Bowl that your team's involved in. Sincerely apologize it, but I guess leave it in the comments, right, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. If y'all want us to cover individual games that we haven't mentioned, if you want us to touch on some other great games in NFL history, we can certainly do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Super Bowl. Um, I think that might actually be a fun kind of off-season segment to do where we break down some of um, either the best games of this past season or some of the best games in NFL history and, and sort of try to put people in the shoes of, of those teams in that game, the magnitude of them uh, go through the result and everything like that. I, I think that could be a little uh, fun exercise for our listeners. If, if you all want us to dive into any games that we failed to mention in this one. That's good to me, but yeah, those are, uh, those are our best Super Bowls. I think we, I think we covered them pretty comprehensively. I'm, I'm good with my list. I imagine that you're good with yours. It is kind of, I am kind of jealous that you could do a whole top five list with just your team, but yeah, it's, I think I speak for the rest of the listeners that we're thankful that you did not. I mean, uh, ranking the past Super Bowl wins. Uh, no, no, no. I did. I didn't, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. I didn't ask. Six would be Pat's Eagles. Oh five, God. I'm sorry. Listeners. Five would be, uh, Pat's Rams. The second one, four would be, Pat's Panthers three would be Pat's Rams. The first one two Malcolm Butler, one twenty-eight to three. There we go. Easy. I would say thank you. But again, I did not ask. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I found a way to get it in one way or another. All right. Fifth of log fans. This is just the first episode of our Super Bowl media week content. We got a lot of awesome stuff coming for you uh, later in the week as well. Stay tuned for another episode coming out tomorrow. Um, I'm excited, man. We're getting ever so closer to the big game, the highlight of the football calendar of the year. Paul, my friend, enjoy the rest of your evening. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Catch us on the show socials on Twitter at Fifth and Long or Instagram and YouTube at Fifth and Long Pod. Paul, Kamish, it's a pleasure, my friend. Until next time. Likewise, Patrick, and God bless.